Creative Babble. So today, Javier, you are talking to a Las Vegas legend. Yeah, that's right, John. I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with the former mayor of Las Vegas and legendary defense attorney, Oscar Goodman. But the the reason why I spoke to Oscar was because, you know, you and I, John, have been secretly working on season five of Criminal Conduct this entire time. We usually take long breaks in between seasons, but this time we're gonna try to roll right into the next one. And yeah, Oscar Goodman is part of season five. Yeah, we're heading out to Las Vegas. And I mean, this case kind of uh, embodies everything that people love and hate about Las Vegas. Uh, You've got the night scene, you've got the exotic dancers slash strippers, you've got a professional wrestling, uh, possible murder, everything kind of tied up into one. And don't forget the mob. And so that's why we had to sit down and talk to the man who really personifies Las Vegas, the former mayor of Las Vegas, the legendary longtime criminal defense attorney for the mob, Oscar Goodman. Yeah, that's right. He defended a lot of famous mobsters over the years, and he just had a really tough reputation for handling some of the most ruthless and dangerous people in Las Vegas. That's right. And as you'll hear in this interview, Oscar Goodman talks about some of his most high profile cases and some of the defendants who had ties to organized crime. Yeah. And I just wanted to to read a couple of those, uh, the cases that Oscar Goodman was involved in. He defended Meyer Lansky who he he was a character in The Godfather. Hyman Roth was uh, loosely based on Meyer Lansky. He was known as like the mob's accountant. He also defended Little Nicky, who became the boss of the Philly mob. And also Frank Lefty Rosenthal, who he pretty much became famous because he was the inspiration for Robert De Niro's character in Casino. And of course, he also defended Jimmy Chagra, who was accused of trying to assassinate a judge. And the crazy thing was that in many of these cases, Oscar Goodman won. Yeah. Not only did he represent all these guys, he actually won a lot of these cases. He's a living legend, and I'm so lucky that I got a chance to speak with him. And he's promoting his new podcast, which features his life story. So, John, I actually binged this podcast in one sitting. It was, it's just, it's amazing. It's like a slice of history. It's called Mobbed Up the fight for Las Vegas. Las Vegas Review Journal's longtime entertainment writer, John Katzlamidis, introduces listeners to the life of the legend Oscar Goodman in an eight-part episode series produced by the Las Vegas Review Journal in partnership with the Mob Museum. Javier recorded a Zoom interview with the former Las Vegas mayor from his restaurant, Oscar's Steakhouse. Now I'm gonna be on fire. Look at this. Look what are we? Yeah, what are we drinking? What are we? A man does not drop a drop. This is Bombay Sapphire Gin. Ooh, my favorite. Yeah. Oh, no vermouth to mess it up. And my favorite, which gives it a terrific taste, is my jalapeno. Oh, and nice. uh, we're sitting here in the restaurant named after me, Oscar Steakhouse, and this is the way I I drink the drink. I think it's called His Honor. Is the name of the drink and. When you drink it from here to here, it's so mellow. It's so Oh, I love Bombay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But when you drink from here to here, and we'll get there before the end of the interview, uh, from here to here, you lose all sense of touch, of feel. (laughs) You begin to slur your words. It's a wonderful experience. It's a real interesting experience. So, Javier, it's a pleasure. 
Toast. With you. That's uh cheers to that. That that sounds delicious, actually. I'm a I'm a gin guy myself. Forget so. about being delicious. This is outstanding. So it's just it's just gin, ice, and jalapeno. And and some ice. Nice. Ice on the side. And I love it. I mean, yeah. I love it. Uh, wow. It's great. I wake up in the morning and I say to my wife, did we have dinner last night? <laughs> Time traveling, you know? <laughs> That's great, man. I, now, after this call, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm going to go make my... I have a jalapeno in the yep. fridge and I got a bottle of, of sapphire. You so. can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. You call back and I'll give you a toast. I'll toast you all you want. I, yeah. I'll toast day and night. That's right. That's right. Why? Well, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I've been listening to the podcast. It's it's amazing. It's stellar. So I, I can't wait to promote but, it. The more I listen to it, uh, the better I like it. I've listened to it two or three times, some of them. And every time I listen to them, to me, they get better and better. It's a really well-crafted story. I mean, it grabs you from the beginning, right? Like from episode yeah. one, it, they just suck you I in. Think so. Yeah, I think so. And uh, they're done very professionally. You, you fall in love with them. After you hear one or two, particularly because it's a series, it's like when I was a kid, you would go to the movies and every Saturday, your parents would drop you off at the movie theater and you go in and there was always a series that went from week to week to right. week about some cowboy or, or other. It's something and you look forward to, right? It was because you followed the series and I think this is the way that is. And uh, I hear only good things about it. So I'm very pleased with it. And as I said, uh, John Katsalamidis has been a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, host. Uh, and he, uh, uh, when he grows up, I think he'll be able to go into this business. I mean, you know, that transition from being a defense attorney to being the mayor of Las Vegas. I mean, to me, I just that inflection point, that 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 change in your career. Tell me about that. Like what, what inspired you to become to run for office? Well, I'll tell you something. The way I practice law, I. Um, I really uh, tried my jury cases uh, with the uh, the understanding that if the jury believes what I'm saying and doesn't feel that I'm trying to pull the wall over their eyes, so many lawyers tried to do, then my client has a chance. And it's the same thing in politics. Uh, I, uh, I found uh, running for mayor, uh, the public is very understanding. They're very forgiving. And if you look them in the eye and you tell them the truth and you shake their hand, you have their vote. So the two of them are very similar. And the reason I decided to go from being the, quote, mob lawyer, end quote, uh, to running for office is that I tried just about every kind of case you could try as a criminal defense lawyer, representing a reputed mobsters, representing uh, a federal judge before the United States Senate, representing a a fellow who was charged with assassinating a federal judge with uh, Woody Harrelson's father being the trigger man, uh, representing uh, reputed mobsters in just about every major city in the United States, engaging in the first wiretap uh, under the omnibus crime bill uh, back in 1970. Uh, so I did it all, and it got to a point where I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to try to keep the system honest from the inside, and that's why I said I'd like to run for mayor. During the 1970s, the infamous drug trafficker known as Jimmy Chagra was embroiled in legal battles, culminating with his arrest in 1979. He was slated to appear before Judge John H. Wood Jr., nicknamed Maximum John, for his harsh sentencing in drug cases. 
Chagra, facing the possibility of life without parole, allegedly offered Judge Wood a multi-million dollar bribe. When that failed, it is claimed that Chagra arranged for Judge Wood's assassination. The hitman implicated in this scheme was Charles Harrelson, who happened to be the father of actor Woody Harrelson. Although Chagra was acquitted of the murder charge, he later admitted to conspiracy in a plea deal to aid his wife. However, many credit Oscar Goodman, his defense attorney, for the shocking verdict. Goodman continued to chip away at the government's case, ultimately resulting in Chagra being acquitted. And, you know, the the mayor, just this one chapter of, of your life. But like you said, you, you were this criminal defense attorney. And and you even said on the podcast that you have one of the most famous closing arguments in, in history. I mean, yeah, well, that, that interested me. Um, a book came out and it was called uh, Great uh, Jury Arguments. And uh, at the back of the book, they had like a glossary of 10 of the major uh, jury arguments. According to this author, they had my argument in the Chagra case, which I took as a real badge of honor. I think I spoke for six hours without an um or an ah and got my point across. It was a case that even the attorney general of the United States at the time, William Webster, said was the crime of the century. So it was something very, very special. And I guess I rose to the occasion. Uh, we be, started the case in Texas and because of certain events where people went to trial, were found guilty. I had my clients severed out and we tried our case in Jacksonville and the jury came back rather quickly uh, in, in, with the severity of the charges and they, they found my client not guilty. Which was shocking to the prosecutors, right? Not only shocking, Javier, but interestingly, uh, they were a little uh, arrogant. Uh, they came into the courthouse with uh, those little plastic cups that uh, people use at, at picnics and uh, brought in their champagne. I don't know whether they had any caviar to uh, accompany it, took it up to the U.S. attorney's office. And they were going to have a party when they got their guilty verdict and celebrate perhaps even being named a federal judge as an honorary uh, measure because they did such a great job. Well, they were sorely disappointed because when the jury came back, I never saw such glum people in my entire life, including the judge. I'll swear, as long as I live, when he saw the verdict, his hair turned from the color of yours to the color of mine, <laughs> whatever hairs I have left. Yeah. Well, but, and what about you? Were you surprised at the outcome of that case? Never surprised. I'm, I'm never surprised. I go in uh, with the David and Goliath uh, idea of what the trial is going to be about. It's usually me sitting with my client at one end of the room. And uh, then the government uh, with uh, the agents, uh, the FBI agents, the DEA agents, uh, the Treasury agents, uh, uh, the prosecutors, the paralegals. The office after they all sit on the other end and it's 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 a very interesting tension that's created as a result of that and i benefited from it because it fed it fed my ego and it fed my uh, uh my desire to, to teach them a lesson but what what drew you to some of these cases like the one the most notable cases that that everybody knows you for like jimmy charga the the ant you know tony the ant lefty rosenthal i mean what what well, drew that, you well, of course, uh, I, I I don't hire my clients. They hire me. I didn't advertise. I wasn't part of that, uh, uh, part of the bar that liked to engage in that. I got my business from people who were satisfied with the services I rendered them or the result of the case. And then they came to me and I was able to uh, 
uh, tell them that I will try my best. I made no promises. And I just uh, uh, we got very, very lucky. I was winning cases that maybe I shouldn't have won. Uh, wiretap cases, um, uh, search and seizure cases. Uh, these aren't uh, technicalities that I was winning on. These were up making sure that the other side did its job right. And the word got out that Oscar Goodman won this case, he won that case. And uh, before I knew it, I had uh, cases all over the country uh, of reputed mobsters primarily, but I represented the judges. I represented right. I represented everybody, to be right. honest with you. And that's the way but, it's supposed to be. But when we, when we think about it, you know, we think about all these high profile cases and I can't even imagine, I bet these weren't the easiest clients to work with, right? They were, they were. Because they were? They, it's interesting that you say that. Um, they needed me. I know it's a funny thing to say, like when you go to a doctor, you need a doctor. He's the only th person who's going to save you, the only person between, you know, the hospital bed in which you are and, and the tombstone, uh, which will be uh, sitting on top of you. And I was the same way. I was the only person between uh, uh, the uh, prison uh, or the electric chair or the gas chamber. And uh, my client remained uh, a free person. So the burden was on me. Uh, they uh, didn't worry about their cases. They did. They figured that I was going to do my best. And uh, I never uh, could think, I can't think now of anybody, even when uh, I lost a case. And any lawyer who says they haven't lost a case never tried a case, okay? Right. I lost cases along the way, of course. Uh, but uh, some of my best referrals came from prison because uh, my clients who did go to prison, uh, they said, you know, uh, take a shot at getting out of prison. Uh, call my lawyer, Oscar. He'll, he'll do his best for you. Maybe you'll get lucky. And, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because my impression is that these are people that don't play by the rules. These these are people that, that try to scrape right. things, but you your job is to play by the rules, right? Absolutely. I was a good guy. I'm wearing the white hat, not the black yeah. hat, and everybody has it upside down. They're, they're giving the, the black hats uh, credit. But look what's happening today. Isn't it a shame what's happening in our country? You can't take anybody's word. Uh, everybody's a liar. Did you ever feel nervous representing any of these guys? Did you ever get into any situation where, where you felt uncomfortable? No, no, because they needed me. So uh, nothing was going to happen to me as a result of anything that they would do. And, you know, I joke about it, but there was a lot of truth. Uh, the FBI thought I was like a consigliere. Uh, yeah. And that if anything happened around here, they uh, said, did Oscar order it, that kind of stuff. So uh, they were always following me. So I figured if they were competent, which they really were, I was pretty safe. But uh, no, never from my clients. Uh, never. So so I want to know about Las Vegas, you know, especially around the time when you were a defense attorney, because I don't, you know, Las Vegas has gone through this metamorphosis, right? Where, you know, it, it's yeah. a different, it's a different place today no than question. it was so like no tell me about that like just talking to you and getting your perspective on well, where where it was and where it is now when uh, my wife and i arrived here in 1964 you always remember the date that you arrived august 28 1964 we had 87 dollars between us wow and we didn't have two cents uh we didn't have much more than that than the 87 dollars that we arrived without here going back to vegas i mean what you know, who were the people that lived there at the time? Like, what was it like? Because I, I could only think of a few cities in America that are 
that have such uniqueness like Vegas. I think of Key West. Yeah. I think of Las Vegas. I think of New Orleans. You know, like, tell me, like, bring us back to that era. Yeah, well, it's an era that will never be replicated. Uh, it's a narrow slice of the history of a city. Las Vegas is relatively young. Uh, we uh, peg our, our beginning as a city to uh, May 15th of 1905. Uh, it was a little railroad town, and uh, they would take cattle from Los Angeles up to Salt Lake City and stop in Las Vegas because we had these natural underground springs. It remained that cowboy-type town, very, very rural, in effect, even though it was a little city. And all of a sudden, it caught on because they had a couple of things happen. They they built the the dam. They had um, uh, gambling uh, was legalized only in Las Vegas at that time or only in Nevada. So it was unique. And I didn't realize it at the time, but Las Vegas was called an open city, which meant that uh, unlike uh, some of the other cities that you mentioned, which had a mob presence, Las Vegas had straw men who were running the hotels as they would build them, uh, who were uh, semi-legitimate and nobody knew who the true owners were. And there was a great deal of friendly competition. Uh, interestingly, uh, murders did not take place in Las Vegas at that time, certainly not by reputed mobsters because there was so much attention on Las Vegas by Bobby Kennedy and that crew back in Washington that they done, didn't want to bring more heat, so to speak, uh, on Las Vegas. So if you're going to kill somebody, you went to California to kill them, right. you went to Arizona to kill them. The one guy I can't figure out, there was a fellow, Tony Albanese, they found his head in Las Vegas and his body in California. Hmm. So I'm not sure whether the rule was broken there. And There was very little culture, very little happening in the way of a, a real city developing. Uh, but uh, we had a lot of smart people here. Uh, who uh, saw it for what it was going to become. And we were able to develop it so that we have fine medicine now with the Rubo Brain Institute. We've got the Mob Museum, which is one of the top f five museums probably in the world, uh, a phenomenal museum. Uh, we have all the things that a great city needs. We've got the best shows in the world. My you got wife, the sphere. The sphere uh, looks phenomenal. My wife, uh, who succeeded me as the mayor because I was term limited, uh, she went to the opening of the sphere, says unbelievable. Uh, we have everything. Yeah, there's not one thing. We have hot weather. That's the only thing. Yeah. Uh, all the pools are about 100 degrees. So you put a couple of ice cubes. In, if I take them from your drink and throw it in the pool, it evens out. Yeah. So we have everything a human being could want. I even have in my backyard, and you won't believe this, a peacock. Did you really? I don't know where Peacock came from. I have no idea. That well, Peacock we have those in Miami, where I'm from. Well, oh, yeah. People, well, they poop. They yeah. Poop. All they do is eat and poop. And they make uh, awful noises, like screeching oh, noises. Uh, well, I don't mind the noises as much as the poop. Uh, they uh, uh, He came up to the front. She came up to the front door. And we adopted her, I guess. Uh, I guess you would say that. What, what do you feel like was your greatest achievement as mayor what's the thing you know, that you think people are going to remember you by uh well i'm not a legacy man so i, I don't keep a, a scorecard on that uh i i think anybody who starts talking about their legacy uh, that they've already had it and I, I think about tomorrow and the new things that i'm doing but uh we had a downtown here that had no uh, vibrancy it was lethargic 
Um, there was no interest in it, and it was turning into rubble. Mm-hmm. And I did everything I could to make it into a lively area. And the truth be, be said, uh, the, uh, the Strip is wonderful, great place, terrific shows, residences, concerts, the whole work. But there's a certain soul about downtown Las Vegas that people will just congregate to because it's organic. It's grown out of itself. And uh, uh, they love coming down here. They love the restaurants. They love the uh, walking around from casino to casino. They love the crowd. They love the Fremont Street experience. It's it's really a remarkable place. Uh, and uh, uh, the locals uh, come here. And the visitors come here, and they all have a wonderful time. Yeah, it is a one-of-a-kind place. We were founded, unlike any other city, and this really distinguishes us, we were founded by the mob. Uh, we, we are distinct as far as that's concerned. And it's, it, 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 I wear it almost as a badge of pride that we were able to come from the mob and build a city with culture and art and uh, great medicine and all the things that great cities are supposed to have. And these mobsters came from backgrounds where they were looked at as outlaws. And for the most part, when they came here, they were able to engage in the day-to-day affairs of the city and become very respected citizens and uh, contribute to the churches and the synagogues and uh, to uh, uh, be very philanthropic. And um, it, it, it's been remarkable to, to sit back and watch a lot of it, which I did. And it was, like you said, it was kind of founded by the mob, but do you feel like the mob still has a presence or a hold on Las Vegas like it used to? Uh, no, uh, a lot of things have taken place uh, uh, since, as I said, that uh, narrow slice of uh, life. Uh, a lot of, the, first of all, uh, age catches up with some of these fellas and they pass away or they go away. A lot of them don't want to be part of uh, a, a, a mob, so to speak. And um, I, I don't see that kind of presence. But as far as uh, it's a different town, because, as I said, if people wanted to do bad things, they didn't do them here. They didn't want to attract attention. And now you see these punks out there uh, who uh, really don't care about anybody other than their selfish selves who knock in, uh, not necessarily Las Vegas, but just about every day. They knock in a, a jewelry store's window and stick their hand in and take the jewels out as though it's theirs and uh, terrorize the poor person behind the counter. And It's uh, not organized uh, anymore. It's like just chaos, right? It's chaos, but yeah. it's, a, it's, a ba- it's a bad chaos because yeah. they don't care about each other. They don't care about, uh, there's no sense of morality. There's uh, no rules. No, no, no. It's a, I like the old days better, to be honest with you. Yeah. I really, this is Javier. This yep. is our, our chef. He's the best. He's How are you? He's a, hey, nice to meet you. He, he, he is the best. Well, we're going to be eat here. We're going to be going to Vegas uh, for a story that we're working on pretty soon. I might stop by your steakhouse and check it out. That's awesome. uh, if, if, if you say I may, uh, I, I'm going to go home and start drinking at home. <laughs> no, I, I most definitely want Never get better, all right? That's right. That's right. I most definitely will check out the the steakhouse thank you i I hope when you come out here you give me a call yeah and we'll get together and i'll buy you one of these all right you may have have to pay for it but i will at least order it for you (laughs) oh yeah definitely yeah my uh host my co-host and i john make it out to las vegas 
this this will be our first stop for sure. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. Well, hey, Oscar, thank you so much for for the great thank you. conversation. Pleasure meeting you and yeah. good luck to Broly. Well, it's the highlight of my week, so I appreciate good. it. Well, thank you so much and have a, a rest, a great rest of the day and enjoy that drink. I'm going to go make, I'm going to go make myself one right after this. Okay. Make sure it's big. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. Awesome. Thank you. Have you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Creative Babble.